Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Brain Scratch. I'm John Lorden. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Today we're looking into another case where we've got some press coverage, um, but unfortunately it just never seemed to quite get that kind of deep investigative dive. Uh, honestly, as you're going to see when we're going through the articles, I can't even tell you much about the victim. Uh, his name is Bradley Huey. But, of course, you guys know I've, I've got a mechanism, I think, for getting to understand him a lot better, which we'll get to later in the episode. But uh, this is a tough case because law enforcement is keeping pretty tight-lipped about the details on this case. We know that it is a gunshot case, but we don't even know how many shots necessarily. We're going to have to lean on some information from... Uh, neighbors in the neighborhood where we believe this went down. We even have questions about that as well. Uh, a lot of different angles to consider when we're looking through this. So I think the best thing that we can do is just go ahead and get started, jump right into it. So we are looking at, uh, right now this is the Twin Cities area, but we're jumping over to Alabama and the city of Mobile. Mobile is the county seat of Mobile County, Alabama, United States. The population within the city limits was over 195,000 people as of the 2010 United States Census. It's the third most populous city in Alabama and the most populous in Mobile County. Alabama's only saltwater port, Mobile, is located on the Mobile River at the head of the Mobile Bay and the north central Gulf Coast. Um, so you can see a little bit of the bay actually kind of in the, in the lower right corner of the shot there. And thank you to uh, Wikipedia for that information. Let's go ahead and jump over to the articles. Let's learn just a little bit more about Mobile at mobile.org. Mobile has a certain magic that keeps you on your toes, where a melting pot of people, flavors, cultures, and traditions become one voice to lead all of life's celebrations. You can call this coastal town a lot of things when you have a vibrant 300-year history with lots of stories to tell. And of course, I think they want to focus on some of the more positive good stories. Unfortunately, we do have tragedies that are part of that as well, like what happened at this intersection at Vermilion Drive and East Octavia Drive. Let's get to the news stories at WKRG.com. The Mobile Police Department is investigating a homicide that happened in the area of Octavia Drive East and Vermilion Drive. Neighbors say they heard gunshots before 2 a.m. A man was found, shot to death at the intersection. Quote, when I came outside, there was a body lying right there and plenty of police cars, said Lamar Lewis. One woman, who didn't want to show her face, said... We thought someone had gotten into the neighborhood. We saw my neighbors out, and they said it was a dead body in the street. It had me going for the rest of the night. I tried to lay down. I was really restless, and it was scary. I think that neighbor's comment about someone getting into the neighborhood makes a bit more sense when you look at it from the aerial view here. Uh, if you take a look at the street layout, basically where Bradley is found is in this kind of closed-off neighborhood area. Uh, Vermilion, if you follow that west, will let you kind of out of this neighborhood, right? It runs onto Navco Road here. Uh, and then Octavia, if you take that initially south and then west, will also get you out to Navco Road. But you can see kind of closed off. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious about it because we have people that are noticing the sound of hearing the gunshots. 
Does that mean that maybe we have a witness in this area? Uh, have they spoken to police? It's a possibility, but like I mentioned, police are staying very tight-lipped about this. But there's other possibilities too. There's possibilities that there are neighbors in this area that didn't talk to police, didn't talk to the press. Uh, maybe they're worried about what they saw. Maybe they feel like they saw too much. So I'm just hoping that four years after the fact, this goes down originally in April 2017, uh, maybe one of those people will be willing to step forward, especially after we go through all the information that we have here today. Um, but let's go ahead and continue with learning a little bit about Bradley Huey. Uh, here's a picture of Bradley. Bradley Nicholas Huey, 21. Just, I have to pause when I hear that. It's another very tragic aspect of this case. This is a guy who his life was barely starting, 21 years old. Passed away suddenly, Saturday, April 29th, 2017. He was preceded in death by his son, Bradley Huey Jr., uh, his father, Gregory Huey, grandparents, James and Devonia Huey. He survived by his mother, Sherry Taylor, grandmother, Maxine Taylor, wife, Elner Holmes, brothers, Reginald Cruz, Brian Taylor, sisters, Anitria Green, Brooke Taylor, and Bridget Taylor. Devoted friend and cousin, Brandon Taylor. Devoted cousins, Joseph and Leon Taylor. Devoted friend, Michael Anderson. We can see we've got a lot of people that care about Bradley. As we continue over at AL.com, we're going to get some more detail. And it's kind of interesting because those first quotes we heard, the neighbors mentioned hearing something around 2 a.m. But what we're going to learn here on Saturday, April 29th, at approximately 12.05 a.m., officers responded to the area of Octavia Drive and Vermilion Drive in reference to one down. So we've got something that's going off with the time frames there uh, because one of the neighbors thinks that they heard gunshots, I mean, before 2 a.m., yeah, you know, midnight is certainly before 2 a.m., but that's quite a bit before 2 a.m., so... Um, I'm not 100% sure if the sound that they heard was the actual gunshots from this. Did they hear some other noise that was part of the scene being processed and think that maybe that was gunshots or maybe it was just enough to wake them up and they assumed it was gunshots when they saw that there was a man that had been shot on the ground? I don't know. We're just minor time discrepancy, but obviously this information is being reported from law enforcement. So 12.05 a.m., officers respond there. Uh, they observed 21-year-old Bradley Huey suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. He's pronounced dead at the scene. The victim's body was transported to the Alabama Department of Forensic Science for an autopsy. Officers also located Huey's vehicle several hours later in Pritchard. Police said the vehicle had been burned. Uh, very troubling. We're going to bring up a map on that in a second. No motives or suspects have been identified in this case at this time. The incident has been classified as a murder by Mobile Police. So just kind of pulling up a map. Here is Octavia and Vermilion Drive and Pritchard, way up here, about 10 miles away, approximately a 15-minute drive, um, but a drive that was in Bradley's car. And it kind of raises some questions in itself. Uh, one of the possibilities is that we're talking about a, a robbery type situation, but if you're taking his vehicle and then what you drive it 10 miles north and then you torch it, uh, I'm really not sure what that's about. And actually, even in terms of torching it, 
is that to hide evidence? Because if that's to hide evidence, what's the possibility that there was evidence that could tie that person back to the crime uh, if he was shot outside of his vehicle in, in the street, which is kind of what we're led to believe by the early articles. Let's just take a, uh, a quick look at the street here. You can see, I mean, it, we're just talking neighborhood. Neighborhood where we've got a little kind of, uh, you know, three-way corner. That's about it. So it just, it makes me wonder just about what the motivation is. I mean, if you're going to steal someone's car, aren't you going to try to take it somewhere like a chop shop or something where you can do something with it, make some money off of it, something like that. That doesn't seem to be the motivation here because the car is found hours later, according to that article, uh, 10 miles north. Over at WKRG.com, this is from the first year anniversary. And I just want to point out for this case in particular, you know, we don't have a ton of information. We've got a man shot, found in the street, his car found. I mean, that's that's about it. But the family does something very important, something that I try to uh, talk to families about all the time when, when I'm trying to help them. And that is doing vigils, doing memorial events, making those regular occurrences because it's helpful in terms of getting the local media out there. And that's exactly what happens here at News 5 WKRG. So April 28, 2018, one year later, the family of Bradley Huey says that they still feel the large gap his passing leaves. They hope that lighting a candle at a vigil sheds new light on the investigation into his death. His sister, Brooke Taylor, says, I saw my brother every day, probably about three times a day. My brother was 21. He hasn't actually lived his life. What they did to him was wrong. They just threw him out there like a dog in the middle of the street. And that's another thing. This comment is making me wonder about the possibility that the shooting might have happened somewhere else. I mean, especially considering what happened to the car. Think about this. They shoot him somewhere else. They put him into the car. Now we've got all kinds of evidence that's being transferred. They're touching the inside of the car. Uh, they take him to this area. They get him out of the car. They drive off somewhere else, have the car torched. I, I would assume meet up with someone or disperse from there, find some other transportation from there. Just in terms of what happened to the car, it seems to me the possibility he was dropped off in that area instead of shot in that particular area is something that we have to kind of keep on the table. His brother, Brian Taylor, said, there's no closure. God gives you closure, but we still would like the earthly closure to let us know that it's been taken care of. The family has been speaking to detectives and putting out flyers, but their efforts haven't yielded any clues, Brooks said. They won't really tell us anything because they say it might hurt the case if they tell us anything. Uh, unfortunately, here we are four years later, so, and, and I, I'm just, I know, you know, the logistics of a case like this are tough right on the outset. Um, but I'm hoping at some point that law enforcement might be able to open up to the family just to let them know some aspects about this. I mean, this is one of those cases where uh, outside of the family doing this and getting a little bit of media for every time they do a vigil, there's not a whole lot spinning around this case. There's not a whole lot of information asking for the public's help that's going out there. The family is a great source for that but the family needs some things to be able to say to the media to make that happen. Or law enforcement can, you know, release a press release directly to them 
say, hey, you know, after four years, we've decided that uh, we need this case to move forward. Here is the manufacturer of the gun, or here's something that we found that was in the car. Uh, just anything, something along those lines to kind of nudge the public exposure and, and maybe help with this case. One possibility that was mentioned when this originally happened back uh, just a few days later in May of 2017, uh, NBC 15 here reported that there was actually several shootings that night, and they're wondering, could they be connected? On Dominic Street, one man was shot in the arm. Just a few miles away on Duval Street, another man was shot in the arm and leg. Both have non-life-threatening injuries. I'm just bringing that up because outside of them wondering, uh, here they tie it together, that same night a young man was shot and killed at Octavia Drive and Vermilion Drive. Um, if there is any connectivity between these cases, we've got two people that actually survived their wounds. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about those. Do they really line up uh, with Bradley's case in any way? Are there any parallels or, or things that might be helpful to Bradley's case from those particular shootings? I found another reference at nextdoor.com about this case, and I hope that we start seeing this more from law enforcement. We have a public affairs manager named Charlotte Solis that is part of Mobile Police Department. Uh, she comes to next door and she posts this information about, hey, we've got $5,000 cash rewards for our unsolved murder cases. And one of those cases, actually number two on the list, Bradley Huey. Um, I think it's just good to be engaging the public and especially using something like next door. I mean, you're really localized. People that are living in that area are going to see this article. It's going to remind them about it. Unfortunately, the details are the same details. There's just, there's not a whole lot, you know, 1205, the cops show up They're at that particular corner. They recognize that there is a male that is down and it's Bradley Huey suffering from gunshot wounds and he's pronounced deceased on the scene. Um, it's just, I really appreciate this. I think this is a great step just with a little more information. What are we able to help them with? That's the thing that I, I always want to ask law enforcement. What's the thing that helps you move this case forward? Even specifically it's, if it's witnesses, you know, we're, we're looking for more people in that area that might've seen something, or we're looking for people in that area at that time, or even an acknowledgement that, you know, we believe he was dropped in that area. So the shooting might have happened somewhere else. That piece of information would all of a sudden widen this search out for people that live not just in that particular area, but around that area as well. What always gets me when looking into cases where there's so little information like this is, you know, we want to help. There's public out here. I mean, look, I don't even live in this state. We want to help. How can we help? And if, if we don't know where to focus, it just makes it really, really tough. Maybe we can get some more information on that as we go forward. Um, so an article from April 29th, which for some reason I had to pull from the Wayback Machine. I don't know why it was removed from the website because it's WKRG and the older articles are still there, but I'm kind of getting off track here. Um, so April 29th, 2019, obviously, once again, the vigil that happens Family members of a Mobile man who was murdered two years ago are honoring his memories and demanding answers. They're hoping to reignite people's memories. It still hurts the same as if it happened yesterday, said his sister, Brooke Taylor. Taylor and her family gathered at the exact spot her brother was killed. 
This could have been anybody's family, she said. Huey had just come from her home. So uh, he was at Brooks' home previously. His car was found later in a different location. Police tell the family it may have been a robbery gone wrong. I just I wish I had some more details on what's missing. Like, you know, is his wallet missing? Where's his cell phone? Did he have jewelry on? Things of that nature. Um, I mean, because obviously, yes, the car is taken, but it's torched and it's literally found hours later. So I don't think that's the object that is you know being focused on for this robbery. Um, we still haven't forgotten. Still can't go on without any justice. We need some closure. Maybe after that point we can move forward, said Brooke. Reopening a wound, I didn't want to continue on doing this, but we don't have closure, so I'm just going to keep on pushing, she said. The family's asking if you have any information about Huey's death to contact Mobile Police. They will continue to hold a memorial at the spot he was killed until they get answers. Of course, last year was COVID, uh, and especially at this time frame, I mean, this is just a month after we're all figuring it out, basically. So did they have a vigil back then? Um, can we get some more clarification, some answers to some of this? Well, I've got someone that knows Bradley pretty well. I think at a minimum we're going to learn a lot more about him as a person, but also about some of these details that I'm having trouble finding from this pretty small set of articles. We have Sherry Taylor, Bradley Huey's mother, joining us. Uh, we also had a little bit of a chat with Brooke, Bradley's sister. Uh, she couldn't join us for the whole interview, but we've got some information from her as well. We're going to kind of sprinkle in as we go here. Uh, but Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. I hate Hi. that I have to meet people under these conditions, but I just want to say I'm really sorry for what your family's facing. Thank you. Um, so just to kind of give us some backstory, one of the things when I was looking through the article articles that kind of kept getting at me was we don't know much about Bradley from the article so I just wanted to spend a little time getting to know Bradley from someone who knows him very well I would think um, yeah. yeah and uh, I was wondering so how many siblings does Bradley have uh, well he has two sisters and one brother okay uh-huh. and he was the youngest of all oh uh, he was the baby of the family yes he was what um, hobbies or did he like sports? What kind of things was he into? Yes, he loved basketball and he loved to rap a lot. He used to have rap battles with his um, cousins, his first cousins, Brandon, and you know stuff like that. He just loved. He 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 liked riding. He was peaceful. He was silly. He was very silly. And he was the part joker of the family, you know. Kept us laughing. Yeah. I've also seen some comments um, that you have made, some posts that you've made, talking about him being wise beyond his years. Can you tell us about he that? Really, he was so smart. He was. He, he would get up here and he would ask you something. And if you didn't know, he would just, you know, like he... He could tell you anything, you know, like educational. He was very smart. He really was. I know he had a bright future ahead of him. Yeah. I just hate cut short, so you know. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a real terrible thing. We're talking about a 21-year-old man. I mean, I, yes. hard, I hardly knew who I was at the age of 21. And it, that's what I'm saying. He was just getting started with life, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's really sad. That, yeah. 
he didn't have a chance. He was married, too. Yeah, tell us about that. I just figured that out recently. It looks like he was married, yeah. and there's some children yeah. as well? Well, he, he had one child. He has one child. Okay. And his name is Cash Cayenne. Yeah. He's seven years old now. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, yeah. And there was another son, because I saw yeah. Bradley he Jr. Away. He passed away at five months while, while she was five months pregnant. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm really sorry it's to hear that. Great high school then. Okay. It's the, his graduation. That's when the child passed away. Oh, goodness. He, he put his name on his tattoo, his name on his neck, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um. So, Cash, what's Cash into at seven years old? Yeah, oh, he's, uh, <laughs> he's just like his dad. He is so, he is very wise beyond his years, too. Yeah. I just wish Bradley was here to help raise him, you know, yeah. and show him how to become a man, you know, a real man. Yeah. Just, Reading through the memorial pages, uh, there's just, there's a lot of people that are really missing Bradley, and I see that yeah. you go there every year and leave a message, Brooke goes there every year and leaves a message. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to uh, think about him all the time, you know. You have times when you just have to go cry, and you know, I guess you never stop crying. Yeah. Because yeah. I think about all that was took from him, and he could have, you know, what he could have did in life. I just know he would have had so much, you know, did, made a big contribution to the world. I feel like he would have. Yeah. yeah really did. Uh, speaking of so much to do in life, what was he doing uh, for work at the time that this happened? He was working at the flea market, selling uh, clothes and apparel and cologne and all of that. Okay. He yeah. Recently lost his job at the um, at the waterworks, Pritchett Waterworks. Okay. That's okay. when he bought his car, his um, BMW. Oh, so that's interesting, uh, Pritchard where his car would actually be found. He used to work out there? Yes, he did. But nothing, I don't think it's, that's just a place people drop cars off in Alabama Village. That's just a drop place where people do anything. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. You know. When Bradley was a a young boy uh, or a younger man, did he talk about what he wanted to do in types of like career aspirations? He used to say he wanted to be a boxer. <laughs> a boxer. <laughs> but he always wanted to gain weight, you know, because he was thin. Yeah. Tall and thin, really thin. Yeah, yeah. I love so the mother's I, perspective on the son that wants to be a boxer. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite That's memory favorite. with Bradley? Oh, oh. Just. When me and him was, it was just me and him living together. He worked at night, and just him, we would sit and talk all the time. You know, whole good conversations. Yeah. I miss the talks we had all the time. Yeah. And you know, that same day it happened, I was telling him about my daughter's fiance. He was doing truck driving, and I was telling him that um, he should have did that. And he told me that day, it's not too late. And I, I'll never forget that in my, you know, 
to find him saying that it's not too late. And then that's all I can think about, <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's too late. You know, that was the last thing we talked about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for him, to, it was not too late. No. And then it was too late. You know, 21 years old, I mean, you've, you think you have nothing but time. I, I totally yeah. understand that. And opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, to go whatever yeah. direction. So. I know. When was the last time, was that the last time that you spoke to him? Yeah, the last time I saw him. It was about five-something because the house I was in, the lights kept going out. You know, the, it was a some kind of electrical problem, and it wouldn't, they wouldn't come back on. So I took called him and told him to come and get him some clothes because I wasn't going to spend the night there since the lights wouldn't come back on that night. Yeah. And I came to get him some clothes and put in his car so he could go to work that next day at the flea market, you know. And he came and got his clothes, and we was talking, and he left. You know, his girlfriend, his wife, I mean, correction, she went to, um, what is it, that place where they go, where young folks go. It's not the military, but it's the, what's the other thing? Oh, like ROTC? Or Job Corps. Job Corps, Job Corps. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Job Corps. But, um, I was talking to him about her, and he was telling me she wanted to come back home. I told her, I told him, tell her to stay up there, you know, so y'all can get yourself together. Yeah. You know, because they was trying to get on their feet, you know. So and you see him that day at about five, you said? Yeah, about five something, probably five and to close to six. Okay. And, and then he, he winds up going to Brooks? Yeah, he went to, he was going to Brooks. And he went to Brandon. He went to Brandon. That's his first cousin. Okay. That's where he went that day. Those are the two places that I know for a fact he was. And you were telling me earlier that him and Brandon were very close, right? They very close. That's it. He was with him every day, yeah. every single day. Mm-hmm. How's Brandon dealing with all this? Well, he said he's taking it hard, you know, which I can understand. But they asked us, <laughs> the police, you know, they was asking us, was, what about him, you know? Because they saw how they, he was the last one to talk to them. But I let them know that they was just closed. You know, they had, I guess, look at every angle. Yeah. And the last person, because he had been over his house, too, that night, I think, okay. around probably before Brooks. Okay, okay. So the time frame that Brooke gave us, really runs very closely up to the actual shooting. And we know that um, he's at Brooks' home until somewhere around 11 o'clock at night. And uh-huh. just to be honest about it, uh, Bradley liked to smoke a little weed. Yeah. Was trying to find some. Uh, yeah. Couldn't find any through uh, some some close people, let's hey. just say. Yeah, some close people, you right. Right. Uh, and then decides that, you know, he's, he's just going to kind of go off and, and we don't really know where he goes at that point, right? Right. Okay. We don't. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, something happens. And we're not even sure if the shooting actually happens at the neighborhood. We know the people that live there say that mm-hmm. they hear gunshots. Yeah. But there's also another theory that he might have actually been shot somewhere else, put back into his car, and then taken to that area. And I know one of, one of the quotes that I saw from Brooke publicly, she talks about they, um, I think the way she phrased it is something like, 
they dropped him off or they they left him there like a dog. Um, and I was wondering about that. Was she considering that maybe he wasn't shot at that location, but was actually taken and dropped well, off? The reason we was considering that because all the neighbors told the detectives that they didn't hear any gunshots. That's why we assumed that, you know. So we really don't know for sure. But somebody on the street was telling her that uh, they heard some music really loud and sound like they heard some noise might have been some gunshots muffled by the music so i'm not sure you know okay okay yeah because i know i did bump into one article where at least one of the people that was local was saying they heard something the, the night before yeah wow. yeah uh, so okay uh-huh. um and tell me a little bit about his car what type of car was he driving he had a bmw black bmw so I know the police at one point had said something about this possibly being a robbery. Are we talking about specifically because of the car that he had? Did we think that someone wanted that car? Somebody probably did, you know. So I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, they probably assumed he had more than he did because looking at the car, you know, it was a nice car. So we know the car gets taken, uh, winds up 10 miles away, and it's torched at that point. Was there anything else? Like, was his wallet found on him? No, I don't think so. Um, and his shoes was missing. He didn't have any shoes on. Really? Really. Okay. Okay. We tried to think of what kind of shoes he had on, but, you know, you don't even think about stuff like that. When yeah. things happen, you don't remember, you know. Yeah. And this really does... Um, uh, you know, it's. Not, I hear that you know, police think this is a robbery, and sometimes we start asking these questions, and it's like, no, nothing was taken, nothing was taken. It's like, well, why are they saying that? But in this case, I mean, his shoes are taken. We don't know where his wallet is. His car's been taken. And I can say this much: uh, days later, someone put his driver's license on my porch. What? Uh huh. I called them, the detectives, and they came again. I took it to him, or they came and got it or something. Did his driver's license have your address on it? Yeah. Okay. But still, you know, where, why would some people, they came and put it on the porch. They didn't put yeah. it through the, you know. Right. It would have been normal for them to put it in a mailbox, and it would have got back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did, did Are you aware of any enemies that he had or any people that didn't like him for some reason? Well, I knew one guy. But um, he got into it with the guy, and the guy said, tried to say that he robbed him. But they was going to court for it, you know. Oh. And I forgot his name. His... Okay. Okay, that's okay. We don't, we don't need to go into his name. But what was going on with the court process? Was it still in progress? Yeah, progress. Uh-huh. Okay. And I assume that you told investigators about that guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. They, I'm sure they checked into all that. Do but we? I really think it was him. You do think it was him? I really don't. Oh, you don't? I, okay. Okay. Um, do we know anything about where his car was found? Like, was it in a parking lot? Was it at someone's house? No, it was in, like, you know, Alabama Village is like the really dump. You know, like a dump and where they houses probably used to be, but I don't think there are any in that spot. You know, like that. That's not the first place they burn the car, you know, or take it. Like, if they steal something, that's where they go trash it, you know, if they want to get rid of it, somewhere like that. 
Okay, okay. And do we know if any evidence was found in the car? I mean, I know it's torched, but I don't know, like, did the whole thing burn up? Was it just a fire that was inside of it for a certain part of it? My daughter got a piece of it. She keeps it, moves it with her. When she moved, she moved it with her. She keep it with her at all times, a piece of it. So it really was torched. Wow. And the car is down at the, somewhere at the police impound, impound something like that. But they're not going to tell us really whether they did or not. Because I asked them, did they find his phone? And they wouldn't tell me that. But they were saying his phone was pinging off certain locations at certain times, you know. Okay. Okay. Well, I would I would assume, I mean, especially with the description that we're hearing about his shoes being taken. I mean, it seems like things that were of value that were on him were removed from him. So I would say the phone's probably been picked up by someone and is being used maybe for a couple of days and then being tossed because they know it's it's a way of being traced. Obviously, yeah. if you have this car, the, the, I don't think the car could have been the reason why they wanted to rob him because they look what they did with it. I mean, ultimately, they wind up torturing it and leaving it somewhere. How, how long was it between the shooting and when the car was found? Oh, the next morning, the phone, the yeah. car was Okay. Okay, so yeah, that's really pointing towards the car doesn't seem to be the main thing that they wanted. Yeah, you're right. And you know, because the, the detectives didn't even know that he had a car when they found him. Okay. You know. Okay. Um, now, Brooke mentioned in one of the interviews that I covered previously that police aren't telling the family anything, and they're saying that's to help protect the case. Of course, yeah. when we just spoke to her before recording this, she told me that the case has now been handed off to a new d detective, and that detective is actually in a cold case unit. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of curious. I mean, I know they need to protect the case through all of its phases, but how has it been the last four years in terms of your communication with law enforcement as a family? Is well, it, it has good, really. It's hard to get anything. Well, the chief did speak to us at one time, but you know, and I appreciate that, but it's not, you know, it's hard to get in touch with anyone, and there's not really much. Well, he did tell us something like it could take one thing, anything to bust the case open or something, but he don't know what it is, what would help, you know, but in other words, someone needs to talk, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's hard. I guess they were doing what they can, but if people won't talk to them, that, that kind of hinders the case, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, these cases are already the toughest because a yeah. shooting like that, we don't know how much physical interaction there is. Like, I don't, no. you know, I mean, it could be done from feet away and the person yeah. never touches the other person. So um, it's on the evidence front, it's already a, a tough type of case. Do, yeah. we, do we know what type of gun was used? No, we don't. Okay. We really, all I know is he was shot several times. Okay. And, yeah, we don't even have an exact count on how many times, right? No, we don't. Okay. Uh, so police obviously know that, but they're just, they're not releasing that information to the family. Yeah, right. We know there was an autopsy, but they didn't release the autopsy report. You guys haven't seen that, right? No, I haven't seen that, no. Okay. Um, well, we did. Go ahead. I know. I was just wondering. I, would they let us see it anyway? 
Um, you know, it's something to try, but for an active investigation, most of the time they're going to, they're going to hold on to that. I mean, if they're not willing to tell you how many gunshots it is just in a conversation, I think you're going to have a hard time with it, but you never know. Uh, police departments all over this country that work on very different, um, sets of rules. So it, it might be worth a shot, but, um, there's also a thing called the freedom of information act request, but typically once again, for cases that are open, most departments yeah. would deny those requests and they would just say, look, this is still an active investigation. Uh, um, did you hear if any shell casings were found at the location? No, there, I don't think there were any found at the time. Okay. Which is interesting because either we're talking about um, him being moved as one possible scenario, them yeah. picking up the shell casings, knowing they couldn't leave that behind or using a revolver, um, you know, that didn't eject shell casings. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, an article that pointed out that there was two other people shot in the area on that same night uh, before mm. Bradley was shot, but they actually survived. And do you feel like any of those are connected in any way to this? I think it, it should be looked into, you know, it could have something to do. It's just too close to it. Yeah. It's too close. Like the one on Duval Street. Right, right. Uh, now, I know when we spoke to Brooke, she said that, you know, she had kind of talked to investigators. Brooke seems to be the main contact with the investigators. Yes. yes. Uh, and at least for one of those shootings, they were saying it was more of a domestic issue. For the other shooting, it seemed like the person wasn't talking. Like, he, even though he survived, he was like, I don't know who shot me. So. Yeah, okay. yeah. Have you heard any rumors about what happened, or is there any talk on the streets? Well, you know, it's always talk on the streets. You hear so many different stories, so I don't know what to believe, you know. Yeah, yeah. People won't come out and just tell you what they really know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you know if they looked into his phone records at all for, like, who he was talking to that night? I mean, if he's meeting up with someone, I assume he's trying to reach out to people. Well, they didn't tell us that either. Okay. But I hope they did. I hope. Yeah. I'm hoping something, you know. Yeah. And uh, you also mentioned that um, it seems like Brooke kind of maybe even put herself into danger a little bit trying to investigate this herself. Yes. Going out, trying to meet with people in that area, you know, talking to them. Yeah. And I stay on her. Don't do it. You know, it's not worth it to lose, risk your life or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, a family that's already faced its, its share of, yeah. of tragedy. I know Bradley also lost his father, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Yes, with cancer. Oh, wow, wow. Uh -huh. um, so what are your feelings at this point about law enforcement and how they're handling the case? Well, I feel like they can, well... I'm going to be honest. I guess they doing as much as they can considering the people won't talk. Yeah. You know, I just want them to go after it more. I really do want them to go out there and talk to the, try to talk again to the people, you know. You never know. Sometimes the people might change their mind. If oh, yeah. you talk enough, you can probably get something out of them. Yeah. But don't give up after talking once and they don't talk to you. Keep on, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. Four years is a is a long time. People sober up yeah. in four years, or they change relationships. Yeah. yeah. And they might tell you know if you keep talking to them. Yeah. That's what I feel like should be done. So, um, Brooke, and I saw it through the news articles. The the family would gather at the spot where Bradley was killed every yeah. year. Were yes. You, were you guys able to do that last year? No, we wasn't because of the COVID. We tried to, you know, everything was changed. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's totally understandable. Um, are you guys planning on getting out there later this month? We probably will. We yeah. pro- more than likely. Yeah. I think it was really important um, yes. because the articles that I saw, when you guys would get out there, it's like there's another pulse. There's another article coming out yeah. about it. So, yeah. yeah. I think so too. I think this, and I think maybe we can touch somebody conscious or something, you know. Well, we to, to that point, right mm-hmm. now, if the person that's watching this video right now has any information or knows what happened to Bradley, what would you say to them? I would say, please come forward, do something, because if it was your family member, you would want closure, you would want justice for them. Please come forward. Yeah. yeah. We've got all the contact information that you need in the description box down below. There's a $5,000 reward. And if you need to remain anonymous for some reason, there is the Crime Stoppers information down there too. And they will keep you anonymous. They basically give you like a code number. If you see that the case gets solved, you call back with that code number and they say, yep, you're the one. And here's the reward. So. Please do use that if you have information in this case. Uh, Sherry, before we go, is there anything else that we can do to help you and your family in terms of your search for justice with this? I don't know if you're doing any fundraising at any point or if you've thought about other events or things of that nature. No, I haven't really. Well, if that changes in the future at all, you've, you've got a new team here waiting to help you on that front. So you let me know. And I've got... Yeah, I've got a few thousand people that are going to come along with me and help you guys, okay? Oh, oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. And I probably will get back with you, okay? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, definitely. All right, thank you so much for your time. You take care, and uh, we really appreciate you sharing all this with us. Thank you. All right. All right. Talk to you later. I really appreciate Sherry being so open, uh, sharing so much information with us about this case. And I do hope that it's helpful. If you've got that information out there, please, please help this family out. Please call it in. But I also wanted to do something um, to honor Bradley in a way. One of the real tragedies in this story for me is thinking about a 21-year-old man. You heard it from his mother. This is a guy that thought he had all the time in the world, all the opportunity in the world. And in a moment, it's gone. So to honor Bradley, I want to make a donation today to the Boys and Girls Club, specifically of South Alabama. Over the last 63 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of South Alabama have grown to now 16 locations, serving over 5,000 boys and girls ages 6 to 18 in five standalone clubs, seven school-based sites, three summer-only programs, and a 150-acre campground mission of the first boys club is still relevant today as we seek to enable all young people especially those who need us most to reach their full potential as productive caring responsible citizens 
on behalf of my amazing supporters on PayPal, Patreon, people that buy merch, um, we're making a donation to the Boys and Girls Club today in Bradley's name. So I really appreciate your guys' support and helping me do that. Uh, before we end today's episode, I do want to thank some new patrons that are going to help us with this donation and donations in the future. A big thank you to new patron Heather Evans, Catherine Zien, Dark On We. Nice to see you on Patreon, Dark On We, and I really appreciate your support on all the live streams as well. Also want to give a big thank you to Rianne Hale and Kelly Chimielski, who both increased their pledges over at Patreon. If you'd like to support the channel, please visit lordandarts.com. There you can sign up for Patreon, buy merchandise, buy us a coffee, or even make a donation straight to PayPal. We really appreciate your support as we help all these organizations and these families in need. Thank you so much for your time. I hope all of you have a wonderful and safe weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode of Case Cracked right here on the Lord and Arts channel.